everybody. It's Hunter Molson again with Barbell Apparel, and we have today another episode of the Breaking Boundaries. I have the pleasure of introducing Alex Viata. Um, Alex Viata was, strangely enough, the first coach I ever hired uh, to help me tackle some like measurable and uh, aggressive athletic goals. And he did a, a hell of a job turned me from like a middling lifter into like a relatively strong power lifter uh, while I still power lifted. And all these years later, I'm really excited to have him here on the podcast. How are you doing today, Alex? No, I'm doing really well. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that's a kind of a trip down memory lane to early days of uh, early, <laughs> both CHP and Barbell Apparel. So yeah, that would have been like circa 2014, 2015, oh, something man. like that. Yeah. So, wow. That is a, yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> and uh, just to give everyone that's listening more background on Alex, um, he really was the pioneer or the, the origin point for what's more popularly known now as like hybrid training. And so um, I'll let him talk more about his athletic background, upbringing and development. But Alex Viata is widely known for popularizing the kind of like split like modal focus on athletic training. So for example, at the same time, he was, you know, you know, powerlifting 700 pound deadlifts, 705 pound squat, 465 bench press at like a relatively heavy body weight in heavy musculature. He was also running ultra marathons. Um, he has a one mile PR of four minutes and 32 seconds. Is that still the best? So that was, uh, that was a long, long time ago. And, um, that was actually not concurrently with my training. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So that, that was something that got mixed up a long time ago, but basically like at the time at, when I was doing my ultras, when I was doing most of my heavy lifting, that was kind of the ultra time. So that's when I was doing the Ironmans. That's when I was doing the, the ultra marathons. So most of the fast running was done much earlier on in my career, like say back in high school, uh, that back when I was doing track and doing things like that. So yeah, that was kind of the split. Yeah. Well, I still knew, I still followed along well yeah. after that, when I had first met you and we were working together and you were still putting up like crazy heavy lift numbers and still yeah. running very fast mile times yeah. and running the ultras and the, the Ironmans and all those things. So, um, the, I mean, like just to give people a little bit of background, I don't, I don't know if you do them anymore, but I do remember you would do these like single day or, you know, maybe single week things where in a relatively short time span, you would deadlift a certain amount, uh, like run a certain speed and mm -hmm. do that kind of like as a split challenge. Yeah. yeah. For me, that was just kind of like the, the daily or kind of weekly enjoyment of the training. It was, uh, you know, my, my splits were always scheduled around it. And, you know, I just, I, I love the act of lifting heavy. I loved setting little goals for the week and, you know, kind of, pushing the, pushing the parameters on all sides of things. That was, it was kind of the fun for me was like when I was training for Ironmans was saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hit my century ride this weekend. And I'd love to, you know, I'd love to hit my, you know, whatever the goal was, my 550 for 10 squat, you know, the, the week before, you know, things like that. And so a lot of it was just trying to maintain this, not letting myself sacrifice one area is kind of a way to keep myself engaged on both sides of the training and not just say, okay, I'm going to give up everything and just run, or I'm going to give up everything and just lift now. So setting those little challenges became kind of a source of personal pride and continued engagement. Yeah, no. And I mean, I think that the cool thing to watch or the, the norms that were being challenged and, and probably still are, were that like you were able to do these really cardiovascularly intensive, um, you know, athletic things at a really heavy body weight and mm -hmm. still being very strong. Uh, yeah. You see more people do it nowadays. And I would suspect that probably a lot of them saw something that you're, you like your hand touched to make people <laughs> aware that these things were even possible. Um, but yeah, I guess how, why don't you start kind of with your formative years running track and sure. how you got into weightlifting and then how uh, kind of like the two merged into the sure. hybrid training methodology. Yeah, because I was always a smaller kid in high school, uh, kind of small, kind of light. I grew up overseas, played a lot of football slash soccer. Uh, you know, was always kind of the quick guy, uh, never had much strength, never had much size, anything else. And going through high school, I did. I, I, you know, I ran track. I did, you know, I swam from a really young age. So my my idea of exercise was always very much more on the endurance side of things. And I went to college. And all the sports I played in high school, like, you know, I not only did track, but did football and, you know, did lacrosse and everything else, but I never played at a high enough level to actually play at a D1 school like Duke. So I got to Duke and pretty much dropped everything. 
And, you know, there weren't even club teams that really I could play at. So I went from playing a whole bunch of different sports and, you know, being a great runner and everything else, just basically doing nothing. And for a couple of years, I did nothing but competitively eat Chinese food and, you know, late night pizza and beer. I gained a lot of weight. And then about, uh, I think, really between my sophomore and junior year, lost a bunch of weight, just decided, hey, this is this is way too big. This is not what I'm about. And with the complete opposite end of the spectrum and finally said, OK, I've, I've got to do something here physically that's that's constructive for myself. So uh, at that time, and God, this was what, 2000, 2001, uh, 2002, I really got into a lot of lifting boards, lifting forums online, um, you know, old school ones like EliteFitness.com and MuscleMag and Wannabe Big and all of those and uh, really got into lifting seriously. I got into lifting, got into powerlifting. Went the opposite direction, didn't do any cardio. It was the enemy. It was the devil. That was kind of the, the atmosphere around all these lifting boards was, hey, you're a lifter. Your idea of cardio is like, you know, anything more than three repetitions, you know, that kind of stuff. And because that was kind of the, the the popular idea at the time was it was one or the other. And uh, I remember, I think it was 2006 or 2007. I, uh, I had a friend of mine who basically said, hey, for your birthday, let's do a 5K. I said, okay, you know, this should be fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still probably a pretty good runner. And uh, at this time I was, I was strong, but I did no running whatsoever. So we went out for our first training run. And I, I don't know if you've heard this story before, but I got about a hundred meters into it and suddenly went from feeling great to feeling like absolute death, like walls closing in on me, tunnel vision, everything going black. And I was like, wow, I'm going to have to fake a calf cramp to get out of this training day right here. So <laughs> realized at that point, I was like, you know what? My conditioning sucks. And I don't like that. I like being big. I like being strong, but I hate feeling this slow, this out of shape, this unathletic and uh, made it a goal at that point. I, you know, trained for the 5k, did, did decent training, signed up for a marathon the day after the 5k and decided, Hey, I'm going to make this my thing. Now I want to be good at it. No resources for this anywhere. And, you know, when I was doing the training for it, I was logging it. I was doing a training log on wannabebig.com back when people used to do training logs on forums. And uh, it was great. And it actually got a lot of attention. Like a lot of people were like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is a cool kind of training. Um, made a lot of mistakes early on. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have tried this, make a lot of mistakes. You go too high volume, you do too much running, uh, interferes with your, your progress in the gym and you're doing all this work and you don't have the energy. And, uh, you know, really spent a couple years fine tuning this and working on it and, you know, looking at lessons learned. What are the things I'm doing right? What are the things I'm doing wrong? Coming up with basically a methodology that I wrote a series of articles about in 2011, 2012 and published. And they caught the attention of uh, JTS, you know, Juggernaut Training Systems, who said, hey, we want to do an interview with you and then potentially write a book. And uh, they said, basically, in the process, it says, so what do you call this kind of training? I was like, well, I, I think it's just exercise. But uh, <laughs> came up with the term hybrid because I was like, yeah, that's sort of right. It's like two energy systems. It's two different things. You know, you could do one and then the other. So invented this term hybrid training for it and uh, wrote a bunch more articles on it and then wrote the book, The Hybrid Athlete. And that's pretty much what I've been doing since. And it's been really cool seeing how hybrid has become so popular. I mean, to the point now where I don't even think most people know where the word comes from. They just hear it and they're like, cool, hybrid training. That's, that's this big thing. So that was a really, really long explanation, but that's kind of where I came from in all this. That's kind of how everything fell together. And that's still what I'm doing. Yeah, no. And I, I think, like you said, a lot of people that maybe are just experiencing these things for the first time now, it's kind of like the, a much more commonplace concept. But I was also, you know, even before I hired you, I was into lifting. I didn't do it very well. <laughs> I was into it. I followed this stuff. And these were relatively novel concepts, even like, you know, in in my like high school years, right? This A lot of the stuff you were doing was even like pre before CrossFit was popular. And so yeah. the rise of CrossFit kind of like popularized okay, hey, people can lift and also move fast and do these things multiple at once. But mm -hmm. especially before that, I, I mean, it was like, if you lift, if you went into a gym, anyone that, if you walked up to a guy who was like jacked and like, hey, what should I do? They would tell you like, don't do cardio at all because it's going to eat all your yeah. muscle or whatever they would say. Exactly. And so no, no one did it. And so, um, you know, then 
then like I remember seeing articles about you come along and here you are, you know, I, there's like this classic image. If, if people Google search your name, I'm sure it still pops up of you, I think during a, a triathlon, like in a wetsuit, just like jacked <laughs> out of your mind. And it's like, you know, I remember seeing that image and being like, oh, like you can do yeah. both and, and and achieve both. And then, um, I mean, we'll talk more about it later, but I, I thought that like a lot of the really um, brilliant things that arose probably out of your self-admitted trial and error was the, the, the focus on kind of like the, the minimum effort required to induce stimulus, the elimination of, of like, you're the first person I ever heard it. Maybe you coined it or maybe somewhere else, but the, the elimination of like junk miles. Um, And then the, um, the, the way you kind of like ebb and flow your focus on a certain domain of your fitness, depending on your kind of like near term, midterm goals. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that because that was a big, big part of, you know, what all the mistakes I made in the beginning was again, too much volume and not having a purpose to each workout. And what was really interesting was, uh, you know, I really look back to a lot of early style, you know, like West side style conjugate training. What I really appreciated about that entire framework and way of looking at exercise is it basically broke down human movement and exercise into its various composite parts. You know, you look at the the repetition work and rate of force development and the max effort work and realizing that a lift, you know, an expression of strength an expression of athleticism is really just a combination of of skill, of rate of force production, of, you know, all these different things put together and you don't have to train every single one of them every time you go into the gym, because if you do that and you're training every single component at once, and then you try to go run and you train every single component at once, you eventually get so much overlap. You're doing so much work. So what I liked about the, the whole conjugate framework and mentality was that I can break down lifting. I can break down running. I can break down cycling. I can break each one of these down into what is the important thing to work on that's going to benefit each one today. It doesn't have to be a big, long workout. It doesn't have to be 20 different components I train per week. I've just got to make sure that I'm triggering each stimulus of each type of training just a little bit each week spread out over the course of a training cycle, and I'm going to make progress. So it really, it really forced me to break down a lot of traditional workouts and training programs and look at how much fluff and overlap there was and just say, let's get rid of that. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people don't, don't realize that with, um, I mean, any number of trainings, it's like, you know, when I was, uh, after I stopped powerlifting before I started rock climbing, I was like, all right, for a little bit, I'm just going to do bodybuilding. And that was short, short lived, but I did it for maybe a couple of years and it went pretty well, but a lot of it was informed from like the, the coaches I had, like you making, and, and I still had coaches for that as well that knew what they were doing. And it's like, really, I made really good progress over even a two year time span with basically like the same workout run on like a, you know, six or eight week training cycle over yeah. and over again for two years. And the list yeah. basic, we found the list that worked well for me and that was it. We <laughs> just did it over and over again forever. And uh, it, it really didn't take that much. And, and uh, I think like a lot of people kind of like crave like this complexity or they think that's where the magic happens, but it's really not. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's really, really interesting too, because I think, you know, I, I do work with, with athletes now with clients who do like variety and they like constant changing stimulus and everything else. And, you know, my, kind of my perspective with that is, Hey, you know, what? if it's fun, let's do it, but I've got to be really ruthless about the rest of your program. And it's, you know, it's funny because I'll, I'll talk to people and say, well, you know, I still want to do CrossFit. I still want to do Metcons, you know, I still, or even with military guys who say, Hey, you know what? We had this, uh, we had this team workout, you know, we had something that we all had to do. And, uh, you know, part of the, part of my goal now being able to break things down like that is being able to look at the trainings that they want to do, or they have to do. And breaking that up and saying, okay, you got this stimulus out of it. You got this stress out of it. You got this adaptation. Okay. We don't need to do more of that. Let's take that out and let's just fill in the gaps. So, you know, again, it's, it's kind of more of a, it's kind of the same process. So even if I want the core to be boring, it's let me really work with clients and individuals who have, you know, busy, you know, busy physical jobs or, you know, they, they're coaches at, you know, a CrossFit or OCR gym and they do a lot of extra work and saying, okay, well, you know, let's, let's just make the rest of your focus on the, on the basics, the things that you don't hit. And let's let you do all the things you want to do and just take out these bare minimum pieces and put those in to kind of keep you progressing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, uh, I like, I, I feel like, um, for a lot of the, your own personal goals and things too, and, and working with your clients that, um, 
there would be a propensity to shift the areas of, of focus and kind of like dial back other areas to kind of like maintenance levels. That way, like you said, you know, when you went from a background in like lacrosse or more aerobic based athletics to lifting, you kind of just like scrapped it all together. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of doing that now, like if you wanted to focus on running an ultra marathon or whatever, instead of scrapping your lifting entirely, you keep yeah. enough stimulus around to like maintain as yeah. opposed to maybe not making progress now right. um, and, and tackle those triathlon goals or Ironman goals or whatever. And then if the time comes where you've hit those goals and you want to cycle back to making progress in the lifts, you can kind of like shift the equilibrium again. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's why my focus has always been hybrid training is about at the very least maintaining proficiency and everything. Because the, again, the old thought was, well, okay, you know, here I am, I'm a power lifter. I want to be a good runner. Well, I guess the first thing I better do is lose 30 pounds, lose 40 pounds and, you know, be a better runner. And I'm like, okay, if you're going to lose size and strength, that's not really hybrid training. You're just switching sports. So that's where understanding like minimum effective dose and all that becomes really key. And again, cutting that down to, okay, what's the minimum amount of most effective training you could do on the lifting side to maintain your progress there. So every time you decide you want to try something new, you don't have to start from scratch and rebuild. Yeah, for sure. No. And I mean, even, even watching the, I mean, athletes you've worked with and you yourself, it's like the, like taking weight loss, right. As a component for success in like ultra marathons or triathlons or whatever, like it mm-hmm. comes with its own downsides too, in terms of like less yeah. force production, less capability mm-hmm. there too. So it's yeah. like all about finding that balance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's been kind of the, the, what's kept me engaged and so interested in this whole process over the years is just, there is still so much, you know, new and continuing research on things like, you know, critical adaptations for cardiovascular training and, you know, looking at things from a a different time domains, exploring different programs and looking at, you know, now that we have new wearables and being able to look at all these different recovery parameters and things that let us track aggregate stress of an athlete, you know, not just, looking at, well, uh, how are you sleeping and are you sore? But, you know, being able to look at things like, okay, let's, let's track your heart rate. Let's track your sleep cycles. Let's look at things like your heart rate variability, which still has some merit to it. You know, a lot of things like that and saying, Hey, this is a whole bunch of new data. That's really letting us work with athletes in a very complicated, complex sort of program, but still managing to keep it simple and keep it constructive and keep people doing all these cool things. Yeah. Which I mean, is, is, is really cool for an individual who may have complex goals, but also it seems like, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, the sports people are that are more popular and kind of like people find interesting are kind of like, they're more complex in the demands as opposed to like, you know, the 2000s era of like, Oh, I'm just going to lift weights and get big. So now people want to do CrossFit or they want to run like tough mud or or do these things that are kind Mm -hmm. of like much more dynamic from a, from a physical demands component instead of like much more specialized. Exactly. Yeah. And it's because it's, I hate to say people get bored. It's not that it's like, I think a lot of people now see the value in this athleticism and they see people who look like they want to look and move like they want to move and all that doing these very diverse, engaging, interesting sort of activities. And it's not, I think the pendulum swings a little bit when you look at the, now the excesses of bodybuilding and, you know, bodybuilding has always been excess, but you think about bodybuilding now, yes, there's still some people who say, yeah, I want to look like that, but the majority of the population, even the athletic population would rather look at like CrossFit games athletes and say, you know what? No, that's, that's what I want to be like. I, you know, I want to be, I want to be lean. I want to be ripped, you know, obviously have some muscle, be strong, but I want to move well, you know, that, yeah. that sort of mentality. And I think with that really comes to the appeal of this style of training. Yeah, for sure. I, I also think too, like, you know, depending on an individual's personal experience and how deep they go into any one like medium, you start to realize at a certain point, like, okay, I started this at whatever phase of my life I have given genetic makeup and gifts. Like I'm only going to get so far with this sport regardless. And it's (laughs) not, it's not going to be far enough to warrant kind of like sacrificing everything else on the altar of progress in this sport. Exactly. So it's like, I may as well be good at some other stuff too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. You know, cause especially now, as I think a lot of my clients, you know, I'm working, I do work with a lot of people who are older too. And they're going, Hey, you know what? I'm getting back into this. I'm, you know, I'm 40, you know, I want to get back to some level of fitness. I'm never going to be super jacked or, you know, I'm never going to get, there's a little bit more of a realistic, like, Hey, I've tried this. I've tried that. I was extremely big and strong when I was 20. I am not willing to do now what it took to do that back then. 
I don't have the time. I don't have the effort. I don't have that same insane sort of mentality that I am willing to do whatever and sacrifice my health just to, you know, get you know, yeah. 20 inch biceps. It, that's gone. So people go, Hey, I want to be able to do, I want to walk out the door, you know, be able to walk out the door and say, Hey, you know what? I think I want to do, I think I want to sign up for a race. I think I want to like, you know, go hike a mountain. I think I want to go, you know, just go pick up something obscenely heavy, you know, whatever it is that, that catches people's interest. Yeah. And have the freedom. I, th- I think that's like the more, well, you know, if people experience it, that's the more freeing aspect of, of being more well-rounded is that you can kind of like chase different goals as your life progresses and also do, do things that, you know, you may get invited to, like you mentioned getting invited to the 5k. It's like, you can just yeah. do that on a whim or maybe something even a bit more taxing than that. Um, and not like, you know, a, a couple of years back, we, I was on a trip with my wife and, um, we ended up getting like last minute, um, like passes to hike half dome. It's like a lottery yeah. system or whatever. And yeah. we just woke up at four in the morning and just did it in a day. And a lot of That's people awesome. can do it, but it's yeah. nice to be able to do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Cause if you, if you couldn't, you'd be like, well, there's goes this potentially once in a lifetime opportunity and now you can't do it. So yeah. it's nice to be able to have kind of like that, um, well-roundedness to be able to kind of like mm-hmm. do those things, especially like, you know, like, like you mentioned getting older, it's like, um, you, you value just feeling good. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, like being able to go hike half dome, it's not just being able to go do it. It's being able yeah. to go do it and know it's not going to crush you for the next three yeah. or four days. And you're going to write off the rest of your vacation. You're like, no, you know what? This is something approachable. Like I have the physical capability, not just to struggle bust my way through this, but actually like, I know what I'm getting into. I know, you know, and I'm experienced enough with this overall idea that I know what shoes to wear. You know, I know how to pace this thing. I know what to bring with me for food. Just it's, it's all of those pieces put together as well. That just make you make you feel like, Hey, you know what? I can just go do what I want. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, that's the value. Go up with a bag full of like, you know, energy chews and, and pop tarts instead of nothing. And then you're dying. Yeah, halfway up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And, um, yeah, no. And, and I think the, the other thing too, is that it, I, in retrospect, like I've had the you know pleasure of interviewing a lot of like elite athletes that are on like kind of like the bleeding edge of the sports and to achieve that level of, of skill and success does require in in many cases for them sacrificing everything else, all the other kind of domains, they become yep. just incredibly highly specialized. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know, and, and, or, you know, you should have enough self-awareness to know like, Hey, that's not me. Um, yep. the freedom in that is like, okay, well, I don't have to sacrifice everything else and I can be more well-rounded and maybe you prefer one area over the other, but you can still do enough of the other things to a, like stay healthy, stay in shape and feel yeah. capable across multiple domains. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think I definitely personally hit that point a while there too is, you know, I, uh, I just, I, I all time at PR my deadlift this year, but I think about it and I, you know, I spent so much time when I was younger thinking I want to get as strong as possible. And, you know, I want to hit this number and that number. And it, you know, I kind of go back to, I think it's even on my headband, the whole nobody cares thing, because nobody really cares what else you're doing, especially because I just realized I'm not going to set any world records. I'm not going to make my career on this thing. You know, there are people out there, here I am struggling. I would be thrilled if in my lifetime I hit what some of these guys hit on their third to last warm up set. And I'm going, what? You know, <laughs> like, what, what am I willing to sacrifice here for something that is personally rewarding? but has no objective. Like, I'm not going to get famous off this is I'm not, I'm, if I sit here 20 years later and think, wow, I sure am glad I blew out my back and, you know, took all these drugs to, you know, get a 800 de- pound deadlift. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to be like, why did I do that? And, uh, you know, realizing that some of that is being able to set your goals, not just, not just for what's personally challenging, but also for what's personally challenging, but you know, long-term is going to be rewarding. Yeah. No, that's a great perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's because again, I work with a lot of people who say, Hey, I want to do this. The first question is always, okay, why, what are you going to get out of this? Do you just want to check it off the list? Is this part of a bigger goal? And honestly, what are you willing to sacrifice to hit this? Cause I, you know, I still firmly believe that unless you're making money off this and you're a professional athlete, your training is meant to enhance your life and enhance what you can do. And you know, broaden your horizon and open up opportunities to you, not, not shut them out. So. Yeah, no, I think the perspective of like forward thinking and thinking like, is this something I'm going to look back on and be like, I'm glad I did this. 
as opposed to, uh, you know, why did I do this? I mean, I, when I was powerlifting, I, I, you know, working with you, I got stronger than I had ever been. And it was quite strong for me was so far away from competitive that it was a joke, but I was, I was already to the point where I was like, if I, to, to go further, I'm going to have to take my body to a place that I just think I'm going to regret later. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so I was happy calling exactly. it there. I did what I wanted to do and yeah. I moved on to other things. Um, but yeah. it's, it's funny that you mentioned that is cause like I have some athleticals still and it's like, right. Like I, I rock climb, I would like to climb a certain level of rock climbing. That's pretty difficult. Like 99.9% of people will never do it. But if I ever did it, like you said, it would be, if a professional climbed of that, that level, no one would care. No one would care at all. And it's, it's, it's like, that's just me. That's what I want to do. It'd be fun. Yeah. And if, if it never happens, that's fine too. But it's also yeah. in the grand scheme of thing, that achievement means nothing to anybody except for me. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, that is literally the, the, the whole nobody cares mantra that we have, like kind of my unofficial is literally that it's not that it's not important. It's important to you. It's, it's something that gives you drive. It gives you purpose. It gives you something to develop mastery and their sense of personal achievement and all that. But you can tell your friends about it and they're just going to be like, Hey, I'm just glad you're happy. You yeah, know, no, sure. nobody's going to sit there like grading you on it and be like, Oh, you, you didn't do it. What's wrong with you? No, yeah. it's, it's all about that personal satisfaction. And I think that really pushes people towards such a process orientation and, you know, setting goals that really do better themselves, not just ones that they, it's just yet another thing for them to throw themselves against in frustration for the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. And I'm like you, you more than most people I've talked to probably know the feeling of like, you set this really audacious goal for yourself and you sacrifice so much to get it and you get there and you achieve the goal and it feels great for a week. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe if it was something awesome, you'll get like two weeks out of it, but then you yeah, sit down exactly. and you're like, well, I guess it's back to the drawing board time for the next thing. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, what now? Okay. Well, uh, I can't do that again. So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and the other interesting component too, is even for the the professional athletes or the people on the, the bleeding edge of the sports that are doing, you know, world, world, achieve, you know, world record level achievements. It's like people care about those achievements for a little while until someone beats them and then they kind of like fade into obscurity, you know? Yeah, I, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I stopped doing so many of the little like hybrid challenges and all that. Cause I'm like, ah, nobody, no, nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's, you know, if, cause for a while there it was very much like, Oh, well that's what gets people's attention. And that's what gets them interested in all this. And, you know, I realized a lot of that stuff is almost kind of sideshow stuff. People think, oh, that's cool, and then move on from it. And somebody else does something cool. And it's great that there are people out there doing cool stuff. But, you know, for the most part, I'm like, you know, it's it's only going to be cool until the next thing comes along. So maybe I want to make my focus actually talking about, like, what what makes people better. Yeah. You know, not, not just what gives you that temporary little rush, that temporary little, yeah, that was cool. But let's think about something bigger here. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I have this, this conversation with some of the, like my personal friends that we, we, you know, climb together or whatever, and yeah. they'll be, they'll have like a, a season goal and they don't achieve it. And they're super disappointed. I'm like, dude, like you're, you're like a 35 year old weekend warrior. Like, yeah. like I, I understand that these goals are meaningful to you, but if you hit that goal, it would just be another kind of arbitrary goal. So it's like, yeah. I think I tell them like the focus should be on, you know, like, did, did you execute what you wanted to out of your training? Did you hit all mm-hmm. your training sessions? Did you do the best you could? And if exactly. you did the best you could and it still didn't happen, then, you know, there's always next year. You'll, you'll make progress until you can't anymore, which hopefully is exactly. not until you're like in, well into your sixties. And exactly. uh, other, other than that, it's kind of like, even if you had ticked off this goal, like I said, you'd be happy for a week and then it'd be like, all right, time for something new. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I think, again, I know this sounds like I'm just, I'm getting old because I realized like I, this, this is kind of a perspective change in the last couple of years, but it, being forced to be realistic with yourself about, you know, kind of about your capabilities and about what you want to sacrifice. It's, it really does, again, force you to think more about process and think more about sustainability and think when you actually set yourself a series of goals based on, you know, kind of personal mastery and say, you know, what, yeah, I'm a weekend warrior. I go, you know, if, if I, if I don't get it, what does it matter? But saying, you know what, it's, it's the process of striving for this that I think is what's going to matter to me. And it's realizing that while you're setting goals for yourself, you're thinking, okay, I, I want to be able to do this climb. I want to be able to climb at this level. And you're thinking, okay, the things I'm going to be doing to get myself to that level, I think are good things for me. 
you know, that it takes, it's going to be good kinds of discipline. It's enjoyment. It's, you know, I'm developing skills. You know, I'm, I'm forcing myself to kind of stick to a productive routine, you know, all those kind of things. You're thinking, okay, that's a good goal because you're doing all this stuff around it. That's saying, okay, this is, this is generally healthy. And that, you know, to kind of loop it back, that's what I love so much about this overall hybrid approach is it's not people doing things or trying to do things that are going to require them to do things no one else has done before. You don't have to sacrifice your health to do it. By very nature of being able to do so many things, you, you kind of have to be a little bit more moderate in your approach. You can't overdo any one kind of training or you're going to compromise or you're going to lose something over here. You can't do this crazy yo-yo dieting and making huge shifts in body size because that's not part of it. And that's not, that's not sustainable for a lot of people. That's really rough on the body. So it's, it's an overall, it hasn't just become a way to do cool things and be capable. It's also become a way to really keep yourself a little, think of a little bit more centered and a little bit more grounded and kind of appreciate, again, appreciate versatility, but appreciate being able to continue to engage in kind of like health seeking behaviors and healthy patterns and healthy kinds of discipline and still do some pretty cool stuff in the meantime. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and I think that, um, you know, some people, it's like, much more rare personality types than the general population. I think like out of all the guys in my office, I'm probably the only one that really just like loves to lift weights. Like I like it. I like everything about it. I don't get bored of it. I like it a lot. They all kind of like lift weights because they know they should. Um, But if if that's all they had to do for exercise, they would definitely lose interest and probably do nothing. But taking a more hybrid approach to athletics keeps them interested. Right. Because they, you know, on, on like Kyle and Josh, um, for people who are listening and don't know, they work with me at Barbell Apparel and um, they're actually being coached by someone at Alex's company and they train for triathlons and also do some weightlifting components of that. But their weekly training basically revolves around like, you know, one day swimming, one day's running, they do some weightlifting. And so it's always shifting mm-hmm. and it keeps them m- more motivated and interested because they get to wake up and do something different on different days, um, which I think a lot of people appreciate, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's good too, because it's also, it puts your mind in different head spaces. You know, it's different kinds of training all have different impacts on, on your body, on your neurochemistry, on your psychology and having that kind of varied, uh, varied stressors and all that it's, you know, running does very different things for you again, even psychologically than lifting weights does. And having that versatility, it does. It stops you not just from getting bored, but it stops you from really getting in a rut, from getting too obsessive. For it's different kinds of coordination, different kinds of you know, uh, certain kinds of activity force you to hype yourself up and put you in a very, very highly you know kind of sympathetic state and very aggressive. And others force you to back down. And to do them right, you need to be very relaxed and you need to kind of dissociate from stress and everything else and relax. So even from that perspective, it's like, well, wait a minute, this is, this is a style of training that actually kind of, again, keeps you not just keeps you from getting bored, but keeps you in a, in a better space for everything else you're doing. Yeah. And I think that kind of like on a fundamental level, the interesting thing is it's like probably closer to just like a natural human state, right? Like you, you know, from, for most of human civilization history or pre-civilization, that would have been your kind of routine. It would have been much more varied physical uh, yeah. exertion, you know, like some days you would have to swim. Some days you would have to run. Some days you would have right. to walk forever. Uh, some yeah. days you'd have to like lift big, heavy things, you know? And yeah. so it's like, it's kind of, I think for most people, especially in modern society where a lot of people have grown up and not even really had the uh, opportunity to, to experience or like take a journey down kind of like the more strenuous aspects of those mediums, mm-hmm. being able to explore all that's like a really rewarding experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, different kinds of training really develop different skills. Uh, you know, uh, you talk about endurance exercise and how that uh, develops things like pain tolerance and how endurance exercise can actually have positive effects on an individual's management of chronic pain, whether it's via like actual uh, you know, learned and, uh, you know, conscious adaptations to how you deal with discomfort, uh, being able to change your relationship between the, you know, the sensation of pain or sensation of discomfort and the experience of pain, all of those things come into play there. So that's something endurance training develops and, you know, strength training also has its own effects that endurance training does it on things like, you know, certain proprioception and, uh, you know, bone density structure, being able to manage external loads and it, it's you're looking at so many different fundamental components of human behavior and so many benefits that extend everywhere that 
by doing all these things, you're stopping yourself from really having any big weak points in, in the, you know, what the, I always think of the various stimuli and challenges that humans need to develop in a healthy way and develop in a complete way. You need all these things. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, I'm sure it's also beneficial in terms of like re- reducing exposure to injury risk, right? Because instead of like really overusing your body in like a highly specialized or one area, you're kind of like spreading your stimulus across multiple areas. And like yeah. on days you're running, you're giving, you know, the lifting joints a chance to recover. I'm sure there's some overlap, but yeah. and, and, and vice versa, as opposed to like, I, you know, I know like when all I did was lift six days a week, I'd get like horrific elbow tendonitis or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And it's both, it's varying the stimulus. And it's also, again, since you're cutting out so much junk work, you're not doing 20 work sets involving, you know, elbow extension at a high level of tension. You know, you're probably doing eight to 10. You don't have time to do anything else. Your program doesn't allow you to do anything else. So, you know, and on the running side, rather than going out and pounding pavement six days a week, you are cross training and you've reduced the running down to kind of the bare minimum dose needed for progress. So even the the very process of managing it all together, you're varying the stimulus and you're reducing the chronic overuse because you just, you physically can't. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I, like, I suppose in terms of, like what you're talking about earlier with kind of like achievements or enjoying the process. It's like at some point, I'm sure people that are dedicating a lot of time to this, um, most will end up setting some sort of goal in terms of like a specific race or, or, yeah. or record or whatever they want to achieve. Um, but I mean, like me, you know, I, I interviewed Nicodemus last week, um, but he, he kind of talked about like the goal setting for that. But it's in, in terms of like having different tiers of goals. And it's mm-hmm. like, is the point, is the point to win? Or is the point to do the like adhere to the process, adhere to the training, and then do the best yeah. you can? For yeah. most of us, since we're like you said, we're not getting paid, we're not professionals. I like I think the goal should be let me make sure I'm hitting all my sessions, recovering well, doing the best yeah. I can, and then I have the goal to see like what the fruits of all that labor is. Yeah. But whether I win or lose or whatever is kind of like besides the point, right? Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I think there's actually a lot to be taken from elite athletes in, in this as well, because you know, you look at you look at like let's say a professional cyclist, professional runner, uh, professional triathletes, they know what they're capable of. They know what times they're capable of. You know, to the point where you'll watch some of these pro triathletes who drop out halfway through the bike. And it's because they know that they've been just struggling to hit their prescribed wattage and output that they know they're going to need. And they know halfway through, you know what? I am not able to execute my plan. So I'm not going to get the result that I trained for. And I think very often with people who are not elite athletes, we almost go in the opposite direction. We say, well, okay, you know, I really want to hit a, I really want to hit a, you know, 11 hour Ironman or better. And they don't do anything in their training. Their training is just about trying to get them as fast as possible so they can get it. And usually when they go in there, they may get an 11 hour, they may get a 12 hour, they may get a, they don't know. And that's because the focus is always just on, okay, I want this thing. Uh, you know, this is what, and, and, you know, even if I don't train for it, I don't know what I'm capable of on race day. I'm just going to send it and see what happens. And, you know, and that's, that's a tough place to be because, when the focus becomes then process, they think, okay, well, if I want to get this 11 hour Ironman, here's what I need to be doing training wise. Here's the, the run pace I need to be able to be sustaining. Here's how much easy run volume I know I need to be doing. And, you know, here's how my recovery needs to be. And uh, so it all becomes process. It all becomes execution of a plan and development of, you know, again, this mastery and proficiency. And so when they get to the race, or when they get to the event, when they get to their goal, they already pretty much know if they're capable of achieving it or not. And I think that's one of the things I try to focus on with my coaching really is telling people, look, whatever your goal is, it shouldn't be guesswork. You shouldn't just be doing training to get you as far along as possible and hope you're going to hit your goal. Your goal itself should be kind of the representation of the work you've done and a representation of the work you've put in and the process and your every day showing up like that's your goal is generally going to be just the result of that it's not just saying okay i hope i can show up on race day on meet day on whatever and get it done so i think by keeping that mindset and by telling people you know you you really have to you have to think about the the day-to-day you have to think about your training and what you want to get out of it and if you know you don't have the capability to hit that goal then you either need to reevaluate your training or reevaluate the goal based on the work you're putting in yeah 
or maybe reevaluate the time horizon that you're on or something like that. That's a big one too. No, I think, I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, um, knowing what you're capable of and, and kind of like thinking of an event like that or a goal like that, like, Hey, you know, if, if, if your goal is like you said, to run an 11 hour Ironman, um, the well-prepared athlete will know day of that he's capable of it. Now I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that doesn't mean it will happen because things happen, right? Of course. An yeah. athlete's performance is variable, but if you know you're capable of it and it doesn't happen, like at least that's one level of achievement. Like you, you knew that you yeah. could have done it, but the cards maybe just didn't fall quite in your favor and yeah. maybe better luck next time. <laughs> but I'd much rather be in that position than showing up saying like, Oh man, I yeah. just hope I can wing it and make this happen. Yeah. Um, no, that's a really great point. It's kind of like distilling down, uh, your, both your training and your goal setting into much more executable parts, like, mm -hmm. you know, mile splits or, or whatever it may be. Well, and that's why like where a lot of the clients that I work with now, I track so much of their data. And when I have them like, say like they just do rebaselining, they'll do like a, you know, a mile test again or a 5k test or a max lift or anything else. The objective is always I have in my mind, based on everything they've done up to that point, my my view of exactly what they're capable of. And I'll usually create, you know, custom workouts with custom paces that tells them exactly how to pace every quarter mile of their mile attempt and, you know, how to how to keep it under control. And what's really interesting is that when they follow that and execute that, it takes some of the nerves out of it because they're just following exactly what they're supposed to do. And over time, they begin to trust that, okay me testing my performance is not, okay, let's see the best you can do today. It's saying, okay, let's see that. Let's prove that I'm capable of doing what my work says I can do. And yeah, when you show up to an event, when you say, okay, this is, you know, I, I'm here to do my 11 hour Ironman. If they don't get it done, it's usually because, you know what? I, I inhaled half a gallon of seawater. Wasn't expecting that, you know, something happened or, you know, got a flat on my bike or, you know, even, even something like, uh, you know, on the run, I didn't, uh, you know, I had un unusual GI upset because I, you know, ate something that was off at the hotel the night before, even though I planned better being able to still come away with events from events and not feel the letdown. If you don't hit your goal, because you know exactly why it didn't happen. There's a lot of longevity with that. Because working with people for this long, I've seen people who are so passionate about something and they really want to do it and they've thrown everything into it. And they, if they don't hit it, how crushed they get because they just don't understand it. And when you have actually distilled down your goal to the parts you know you're going to need to get there, if you don't succeed and you know why, there's disappointment, but it's not crushing disappointment. Yeah. Because you say things happened, but I did the work I knew I needed to do to get here. And that, I think that is a, such a huge part of longevity, especially for those of us who do all this because it's fun and we want to set goals and we want to set ambitious and exciting goals, but we also don't want to set goals. We don't think we can reach. And I think the more we're focused on the day to day and we're more, we're focused on the process and mastery and really doing the work and not just hoping it'll be there on game day. I think the better we are. I, I think the better this is for longevity, health, mental health, everything. Yeah, for sure. Well, and like you said, you know, if you, if you show up on game day and it doesn't go your way, but you know why now you have something you can address as opposed to just saying like, well, I guess I suck. And that's the end of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Well, that yeah. went badly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, whether it was internal or external factors, but like external factors, like you can't control everything. So that kind of mm -hmm. is what it is. Yep. Uh, maybe you can better prepare next time to control some of those, but internal yep. factors is like, if you didn't adhere to your training or, or you couldn't because of life circumstances, like at least, yep. you know, that yep. was the reason why. And it's, I, I think probably the part of the reason it's less disappointing is this because it's less of a reflection on just like your essence as a human being mm -hmm. and more of a reset, uh, a reflection on like think like actual factors and, and things that happen that are, you know, maybe with or with or within or without your control, but it's yeah. stuff that can be planned around or executed differently in the future, as opposed to just kind of like throwing darts in the wind, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's, I think that's why it's also important in a lot of our training. We're also honest with ourselves psychologically too, uh, you know, cause I think uh, one of the other things that happens too, is I think people get a little worried when they set ambitious goals that their resolve is going to be there when they need it to be. You know, because when you don't know really your physical capability, you say, okay, well, what's going to happen to me? Like, you know, halfway through the bike and what's going to happen to me if I feel terrible on the run? Like this has happened before and I kind of quit. You know, what is, when I'm out there at the, at the end of an Ironman and I've got four miles left and everything is telling me to walk, 
what is going to keep me running? Because last time this happened, I walked and the time that happened before that I walked. So it's almost this concern that the brain isn't going to be there. And I think the signs of all that, the signs of whether or not we picked good goals, we can usually see in our psychology and our training leading up to those moments. You know, like how, how excited are we about the event itself? Are we just trying to get there? Are we just trying to get it over with? You know, we say, oh man, I'm so burnt out from all of this. This is one of the reasons I don't believe in big overreaching plans. You say, man, I'm so tired of doing this. I want to do the event. I don't want to do the training. That's bad. That's a bad place to be because, you know, there are going to be times you're training for any worthwhile goal. There are going to be times when you don't want to do the work needed to get there. Like that's just some of the work's boring. Some of it's difficult, but you should still fundamentally be able to dig in deep and get it done and not worry as to whether or not you're going to get it done. And I think a lot of people, when they set goals and they aren't sure that they can do the work needed to get them there. And they aren't sure that the work is going to get them there. I think they know long before it happens that their mindset and their performance aren't going to be there on game day because it's no longer something they really want. And it's no longer something where they're still passionate about the process. They're just passionate about the idea of the result. Yeah. Which, which like you said, is, is the completely wrong place to be, right? Like exactly. if, that's the, if that's the way you're orienting the, like a, a difficult goal, you probably need to just figure out something different. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll like, even from all the people I know that are high level athletes, the people I've interviewed, it's like the people that are truly successful. Um, they really do love the process of it all, right? Like yeah. even when it's hard, uh, even though some of it may suck or be unenjoyable, like from an overarching perspective, they, they love the fundamentals of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, Fitspo talking about the grind and this and that and the other, I'm just like, oh, just please shut up. Because it's, look, if you're passionate about it, grind has such a negative connotation to it. It really does. It's this idea of, oh, just, you know, you're doing the work and blah, blah, blah. it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't yeah. really be a grind. I mean, come on. Like, there, look, there are workouts that suck. There's stuff we all do that that we know sucks. But if this is something we're passionate about and and we're not getting paid huge amounts of money to do it, then why are we doing it? You know, find something that keeps you engaged because that's going to be the kind of thing where you walk into the goal. You walk past the goal and don't break stride rather than stumbling across the goal and landing on your face and hoping you're going to be able to get back up and go for the next one. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think a lot of that, like that, like, you know, the, the talk about the grind or the struggle, like, you know, I think that some of the, some of the truth in that is, is, is where it happens for, for people. And, and it's real is like towards the end, right? Like, Hey, I'm, I'm about to, to tackle this goal. And I'm really, now I'm in the struggle and I'm in the grind to make it happen. Yeah. But the, the truth is like people that, that are doing these things, uh, whether it's bodybuilding or extreme endurance running or any sport, this is the culmination of like years and years of work. And if it was exactly. like a grind, no one's grinding for a decade. Like right. they found something that they enjoy doing and yeah. they, they're, they're making consistent habit of it and doing it with, with clarity and purpose for 10 yeah. years. And, yeah. and then, yeah, sure. You know, as they're training for the New York marathon or whatever, there may be some grind involved at the end there, but it's yeah. not like this perpetual never ending 10 year grind. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that's it too, is, you know, you look at your training for the week, you should be like, yeah, I'm kind of excited. You know what? This is, if you look at what you're doing and you look at everything, and oh man, this applies to so many things, it's not just exercise, but you know, it's, it's the one we're talking about here. When you look at everything you have to do and you look at even the, the boring work that you don't want to do and you go, yeah, but you know what? I'm going to feel good when I do it because I know that if I, if I do this work, I'm going to achieve what I know I can achieve. That's everything. Yeah, it's, for sure. It's, it's less of a grind and it's more of a, yeah, some days you just punch the clock. Some days yeah. you just make the deposit when you don't want to, but it's not that you don't want to. It's just, you're not thrilled about it, but you're still going to do it and you still yeah. appreciate it. And you still think to yourself, you know what? I chose this. And I think that's, that's it. You got to choose it. You got to choose it every day you're out there. Yeah, for sure. It's like, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned applies to a lot of mediums. Like, obviously I have a lot of my life that's dedicated to business and things like that. Okay. And like with sports or whatever, there's plenty of things that I don't, love they're not my favorite but i don't loathe them either like yeah. it's fine like i don't mind it like and and it's usually once i get up and get motivated and or, you know maybe motivation is a poor word but once i'm in the midst of it i'm like yeah you know this is fine 
It's not yeah. like if, if I could achieve my goals and only do the thing I love, sure. I'd pick that, but that's not how the world works. And yeah. some of it is this like really boring stuff. And, and usually once I find myself in the middle of it, I'm like, you know, this isn't so bad. I, I, I tend to enjoy even some aspects of it. Like maybe the yeah. overarching activity of like steady state cardio is kind of monotonous, <laughs> but like, well, you know, once you're in the midst of it and you know, the weather's nice and sometimes the weather sucks, but you're like, you know, this isn't so bad. There's worse yeah. ways to spend an afternoon, you know? Exactly. And you know, I don't mind the term motivation. I really don't. And I know there's this whole, like sometimes motivation is seen as this fleeting transient thing and it's discipline that you need and not motivation. But I mean, discipline at the end of the day does stem from motivation. You know, motivation isn't just a, Hey, this is getting me really excited to jump off of the couch. Motivation could be something a lot more fundamental. It could be something a lot deeper. And you know, my motivation for getting through a workout, like sometimes I mean, discipline isn't always going to be enough because at that point you get into, if you just have discipline and no motivation, you get into the thing where, why am I doing this anymore? Yeah. And when you get to where you think you're supposed to get, if mentally you're somewhere else and you finally achieve this goal, that's taken all this discipline to get to, and you don't care about the goal, you're probably not going to get much satisfaction out of the goal. And you're probably not going to be super excited about reaching that point and striving for the next one anyway. So it's saying, I, I still need some motivation. I still need some motivation to get up at 4 a.m. to go for a run if that's part of my goals. And it's not enough to just say, okay, it's discipline that's going to get me doing this. It's saying, okay, I don't want to set the alarm early, but I'm, I'm motivated to do it because, because I know how good it feels. And because, you know, I know how I'm going to feel three hours or three, you know, three miles into it. And I know how fantastic that's going to be. And I'm excited to get out there tomorrow because yeah, it's going to snow, but I haven't been for a run in the snow since last year. And I love the peace of quiet. You know, it's, it's finding a reason. It's finding some motivation. That's not just, okay, it's time to do the thing. And I think that's important. I think it's an important exercise for people to go through because if enough days go by when you don't find that motivation, then that's probably a chance. Uh, it's probably a sign that it might be time to do some reevaluation. Alex, it has been a pleasure chatting with you today, getting your philosophy on kind of like training in general, especially as it pertains to hybrid training. Um, it's kind of interesting that that the the terminology hybrid training kind of arose as you know almost a observation of of training as it was perceived in the 2000s era and kind of saying like, Hey, maybe we don't have to go all in on just one on this one area, but we can do multiple things at once. Um, like, I mean, maybe today, maybe that's just training now, right? <laughs> like you just uh, don't yeah. sacrifice everything um, and, and can be more well-rounded. Uh, yeah. But it has been a pleasure. I'm, I'm sure that people who listen to this will get a lot out of it. If they want to follow along with um, more of your perspective, your training, or maybe explore your training offerings with, uh, with CHP, where should they do that at? Honestly, the best place to reach us is our Instagram at this point. It's got all the links to everything, just at Complete Human Performance. Uh, it's got a lot of educational material up there for free, access to our portal, all of that. That's probably the best place I can say to go. Yeah, for sure. So follow along there. We'll put that in the show notes. And then I still follow your own personal Instagram. Um, why don't you give people that handle as well? Yeah, it's, uh, it's just alex.viata. And uh, I do like weekly Q&As. My Post content isn't always the greatest, but uh, yeah, I, I typically try to answer people's questions and try to be pretty active in the stories there. So if yeah. people have training questions or anything like that, feel free to shoot them over once a week. Yeah, I was going to say, I still follow along with your stories and even still find a lot of like cool insight in there. Um, he's, cool. you know, Alex is often doing a lot of breakdowns of like, you know, published research or pretty specific questions that people will have. And uh, you'll get a lot of interesting insight if you follow him along. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes. But Alex, thank you again for taking the time to chat today. It was really thank an you. awesome conversation. I appreciate it, Hunter. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Great to talk to you. Great to catch up. 